It's about the tools we use. It's about the stories we tell. It's about how we change. It's evolution, baby. Alright, welcome back to another episode of Do the Evolution. I'm your host, Jason Lang, and this is a podcast about all things film, technology, and transformation. So, this is actually my third attempt at recording this podcast. Um, I moved this week and kind of have a new setup, and sat down yesterday morning to stay on my Friday morning schedule, recorded a nice half-hour podcast, and uh, went to play it back, and man, the software I used, something went wrong, the... uh, um, something went wrong in the recording process, let me put it that way. And there was this crazy clicking and my pitch sounded all off. Uh, it was just nuts. It was, it was very disappointing, kind of heartbreaking. And then I got ready to go out and, uh, finish moving out of my old place, helping my roommate move and got somewhat inspired again and tried in my car with my little headset mic and went for it and grossly overestimated how good the audio quality would be. It was totally unusable. So now, try number three. We'll see if this one works. I certainly hope it will. This week, um, two, as usual, two kind of totally random topics. The first of which is I saw Snapchat is going to be filing its IPO pretty soon. I think they did their S1, which is like step number one. And then in this phase is where all the super rich people get to buy stock for super cheap. And then at some point, fairly soon, the rest of us normal people get to buy stock for a normal price. And um, the thing about Snapchat that I find is interesting as I was thinking about it is I think it's one of the first, it's probably the first somewhat major social network to emerge what I would say after me in terms of after my generation. Um. MySpace and Facebook to an extent are kind of, I would say, parts of phase one of social networking and online. And I was very much, you know, in college when Facebook launched, even though I didn't get it till a couple years later. Um, and same thing with MySpace. But uh, Snapchat, you know, it's definitely a younger crowd running on it. I would say primarily, I know that's changing to some extent, but it's really grown in popularity with a lot of teenagers. And I think Snapchat, you know, it started off as this ephemeral media system in which you could just send someone a picture and it would immediately disappear. And then I think that progressed to um, videos and then they kind of innovated with the story thing, which is just like a collection of short videos strung together into a story that, I don't know, maybe last a day, 36 hours or something like that, in which you're kind of just getting a short microdose of someone's life or what they're up to or all kinds of ways to use it. And Instagram went and copied that with Instagram stories and, you know, Facebook owns Instagram and Instagram stories in some ways was just them testing it out for Facebook, which they've begun to do in Ireland and will probably be coming out to the rest of us this year. You can already see a massive shift in their platform to Facebook live and prioritizing video content over everything else. So basically soon, If you're not video broadcasting on Facebook, you're going to look like a loser, which uh, for someone like me is kind of edgy, slightly more of an introvert um, 
I notice I'm laced with tons of judgments about this kind of continual broadcasting thing. But it really had me thinking as an entrepreneur, an artist, someone who's been trying to make his way over the last decade, that um, oddly enough, you know, like I said last week, we're living in an attention economy in which attention is probably the scarcest resource, so it becomes one of the most valuable things, meaning there is literally too much information and too much to do for the great majority of the online connected planet at this point. And that leads to all kinds of things, like the fake news stuff I was talking about last week, clickbait, um, just more and more aggressive ways to get people to consume content. And the kind of flip side of that, not flip side, but that impacts entrepreneurs, I would say. You know, for a long time, it was just launch your business, hand out some business cards, and you're good to go. Some word of mouth. And then it was maybe start a website, pay some Google AdWords, and that was enough. But even that's changing, I would argue. And so what this is really about this week in terms of Snapchat was uh, is me thinking about while I definitely, even in my slightly old man age, have little judgments of it. You know, I've seen some of my friends, their kids use Snapchat. And one in specific, she had built up um, quite a following on Periscope, which was kind of Twitter's initial like live stream video platform that shut down. But she had put a lot of work in and gotten a lot of followers. And it was like a job in some extent. And at her age, it was really just nothing more than a fancy fun thing. But, you know, had she launched some kind of business or art within the next year or two and that platform had not fell or uh, closed down, that would have been really important, whether it was a Kickstarter, selling an album, selling jewelry, anything like that. When you have a big following, that literally translates into business and money. Because getting someone's attention is the hardest part of the sell these days, I would argue. Um, and as I was thinking about that, you know, there's this idea of technological literacy, which, you know, in the last couple decades, for a long time, meant could you type? And then it meant, well, could you type and use Word and use Excel? And then could you type and use Word and use Excel and PowerPoint and do desktop publishing? and some light photo editing. And then suddenly it was like, can you do some HTML? Do you know how to manage social media accounts? And this thing with Snapchat is, I actually think the ability to broadcast and capture people's attention is becoming a core technological competency um, and something you need to be literate in, I would argue, to be successful as we move more and more into this kind of entrepreneurial culture in which most people don't have full day jobs, but are really just building a band brand of trust online. And the way that's really done is by building a following and more and more the way that following is done is built itself is by using video and by broadcasting and by sharing interesting stories or snippets of your life. Um, you know, me podcasting is certainly one version of that myself. And I don't know if I'll ever step into the Snapchat style world, but it is kind of amazing. And sometimes overwhelming that, that that's kind of where it's going. I just don't see how 
certain brands and people are going to be able to make it online without having that level of just constant um, creation of media and broadcasting over platforms like Snapchat and Facebook Live and Instagram Stories. And while it's exhausting to think of digesting that much video from that many people, um, from a business standpoint, I mean, the other cool thing I think about Snapchat and the move to video, uh, you know, which in some ways I think started actually with FaceTime was the first place I saw it many years ago. I remember it was maybe, I think the FaceTime came out on an iPhone four and I think I got that and, you know, few people used it and I used it a few times with my dad and my family and it was awesome. But there was a time I was at an airport, I think, um, I don't remember which airport, probably O'Hare or something. And it was late and flights had been delayed. And I saw a dad, you know, sitting there FaceTiming with his kids, putting them to bed. And I thought, wow, okay, that's a technology that's penetrating. That's something that is actually doing something in terms of creating connection and meaning in people's lives. And while FaceTime's kind of, I would say, the most connected of that because it's real time, there's eye contact. Um, you know, you can't be doing something else while you're FaceTiming with someone, more or less. The um, move in terms of bringing video online, I think, is pretty potent in the sense that, you know, social networking initially was status updates. You know, it was just text. And it still primarily is. Then we started getting pictures and then like pre-recorded videos. And now we're getting like live videos, you know, of intense stuff. People at protests, people getting shot, people dying. Um, all kinds of manifestations of the power of live broadcasting. Um, but what I think is really interesting about it and why overall I think it's going to be a net positive is A, I think video itself is more embodied like a video transmission from someone conveys so much more information than just a status update. You know, you're getting eye contact, vocal intonation, facial um, movements. You can just read. I mean, our whole bodies as humans are wired to read people and gather this whole other layer of information that's not just what they're saying, but how they're saying it. And the move to not only video, but B, live video, I think embodies that even more. It's like, oh, this isn't edited. This is actually kind of happening right now. And that's kind of mind-blowing to me in terms of the experiences that are going to be able to be transmitted. Right now, we're just sharing parts of ourselves. But when you kind of combine that live video with the even the emerging, um, we had I had talked about this last year with a friend, emerging VR landscape, it's pretty freaking cool to think about 360 cameras like the first time a person steps foot on Mars, most of us are going to be able to simultaneously do it in real time because I guarantee that person's going to step onto Mars with some kind of 360 degree camera and it's going to be sending that back. Not quite in real time because of the distance, but we're going to be able to, be able to sit here in our living rooms with headsets on and step onto the planet and look around. And I think that's amazing. And it's just a cool sign, I think, of how technologies are becoming more embodied. 
and yeah, how Snapchat itself and this emerging video broadcasting thing, like, I don't think it's just a fancy thing for attention. I actually think this is a skill kids are going to need moving forward. You know, we have traditional schooling in terms of arithmetic, math, um, arithmetic, language, logic, stuff like that, which I think is great for learning, teaching kids how to learn, like as an actual process. But the content itself, probably not that useful these days. Something like learning how to tell compelling stories and broadcast yourself online and build a following of 20,000 people to help leverage your business or aspirational art dreams. That's pretty uh, on the runway. That's like pretty useful. And I think pretty amazing. And something I am stretching into learning to do myself over the coming weeks and months. So yeah, give Snapchat a try. Don't just uh, discount it. See what it's all about. Whether it's Snapchat or Instagram stories or whatever you want to use. The tidal wave is just starting. So get ready. Now, the other thing I wanted to talk about this week, again, second part, a little more esoteric, is uh, this concept of purging. And it's a word that's pretty prevalent in culture right now. Um, You know, we had the two, three, I think, horror slasher purge movies. And um, for those that are into plant medicine, it's a very common term used in particular in ayahuasca ceremonies and something that is a celebrated part of that medicine. And purging came up in three, there's kind of three contexts I want to talk about it in regarding today. Um, The first is, yeah, so I've been moving all week, and I actually went through a huge move last July when I helped my dad move out of the house my family had been in since 1991. So the last uh, six or seven months, this purging energy has been really prevalent in my life. And earlier this week, as I was cleaning up my apartment, getting rid of stuff, I noticed like this actual experience I have in terms of my relationship to purging. And this is in the physical, like get ridding stuff sense, you know, cleaning out your closet, going through your drawers, um, thinning out your memorabilia or nostalgia. And for me, it really has to do with that term nostalgia, which, which, in my mind, is just like an item that is representative of a period of time. You know, it's kind of captured and soaked up the vibes of some specific event, moment, or time in my life. And as I was going through some of that stuff, and even literally just getting ready to move out of an apartment I'd been in seven years where, you know, a lot of life had happened, um, I noticed with purging, for me in particular, there's like, uh, when getting rid of stuff, there is actually like a bodily contraction, like this thing where I'm holding something and I just don't want to get rid of it. I can feel like a tightening up of, I don't want to throw this away. Can't throw this away. And I would sit with it and wonder like, why not? Why not? Like, what do I care? I haven't touched this in so long or what does this even mean anymore? And, you know, to the best of my self introspection, I think it had it, it, it has something to do with this idea of like, well, if I get rid of it, will I forget what happened? And there's some fear around that uh, for me in particular. And the truth is, oftentimes when I have gotten rid of stuff, there is some forgetting of those events or those moments or like forgetting that I even owned that thing or that memorabilia. 
Um, and so there's this actual tension. There's like a tension in my body, even with small things, definitely with bigger things of like fearing to let go of them. But simultaneously, when I do let go of them, there's always like a release. And, you know, when I've dropped off that bin at Goodwill or thrown away some things, there's like an actual feeling of like openness and relaxation. And what I would call, uh, what I would say is actually like a feeling of legitimately more space in my life, physically and energetically. And the interesting thing to me is I was like noticing that process come up with just getting rid of things was that is a process I go through every time uh, I do do plant medicine. It has been very impactful in my life. Done, I think, 10 ceremonies at this point. And still, um, you know, in the, particularly in the beginning, I was super resistant to purging. I have a really interesting relationship to vomiting in that um, I remember vomiting from the flu at school, running across the classroom, maybe third grade. And going homesick. And then I did not vomit again until my early 20s. Like, so pretty much uh, early adolescence and all my teenage years, or late adolescence in my teenage years, didn't never vomit it again. I tend to get sick up in my throat and my tonsils, never really kind of the stomach bug thing. And so it was just like a missing thing in my life. And then I didn't start drinking till, I don't know, maybe I was 21, 22. It wasn't even until a year after that that I vomited from that for the first time. And that's maybe happened two or three times from alcohol. So since I was a kid, I could literally count on one hand, less than one hand, the number of times I vomited. So when I started doing plant ceremony, it was something I was very anxious about. And though I've gotten way more comfortable with it, and now actually look forward to it in some regards and celebrate it, in the moment, it's never that way. In the moment when I've, like, I've spent hours fighting a purge in ceremony before, much to my own suffering. And it's that same thing. I feel this, like, tension tightening up in my body and kind of a fear and a resistance to just releasing and letting go of things, even at a micro level. And what's interesting about the physical one is, uh, that gets really, really intense until my body just starts to take over and goes into automatic. And then there's actually a deep trust that emerges for me. Like as soon as my body handles it, like suddenly I remember like, oh, oh my God, all I have to do is let my body take care of itself. Our bodies have been doing this for hundreds of thousands of years. This is like so much older in experience than me, like actually vomiting. And when that trust kicks in, um, it gets me through the actual like physical discomfort of doing it. And same thing. Usually afterwards, I legitimately feel more space. It's like actually an increase in space in my interiors, not only in the usual nausea in my stomach. And then there's like a release and kind of an opening in what I would say almost like a flow as old stuff goes out and new stuff comes in, or the ability for new stuff to come in suddenly is an option. Um, my shaman likes to say up and out, you know, we're just getting stuff up and out. And that's what leaves space for the kind of the new to come in or for healing to happen. 
And not only does that happen in ceremony, but obviously having moved, I can just totally feel it. It's so legitimate. It's so true that like letting go of old things is part of the process of letting in new things. And so as I was thinking about that this week in my kind of two relationships to those two types of purging, it really got me thinking like, wow, I wonder if that's all just like a microcosm of like what death is. Because I can feel in my body a fear of death, fear of dying, a slight contraction towards even the idea and a tightening and a no, I'm not ready or no, I don't want to let go. And so it had me thinking and I don't know if excited is the right word, but like intrigued for the first time that like, oh, maybe, maybe, you know, in my own way, death is not something to fear. Like maybe this is just going to be another kind of like the ultimate purge in terms of like, I fear it, but if I just relax into it and trust the process on the other side, there could be the greatest release and amount of space I've ever felt in my life. And that's intriguing. That's exciting to me. That's, um, you know, I've read about near death experiences and Tibetan book of the dead and preparing to die. And for some reason, something about this actual mapping it to my experience of purging and the contraction and the tightening and then the just trusting and releasing and the opening and spaciousness, that lands with me for what I think might happen in those final moments and why I want to start making more and more of a practice out of learning to, you know, purge in the moment more frequently. And by that, I don't mean necessarily vomiting but like feeling whatever the contraction I'm having in life is or whatever I'm tightening around. And instead of fighting it, just opening and relaxing into it and letting it flow through and hoping, you know, and imagining the few times I have practiced this, that yeah, like a little more space comes and that there's something about that actual, like committing to that process of just releasing and letting the, letting whatever flow through Instead of like tightening and controlling and trying to make it all happen a certain way, but just like relaxing into, oh, all I have to be is this process, is this up and out, is this out with the old, in with the new, even in terms of like emotions and bodily sensations in the moment. Like if I just trust, if I just trust, things are going to work out. So that's kind of my new plan for the next while. Um, and Yeah fascinating how much comes up moving and with technological difficulties. (laughs) Anyway, that is it for this week. This is uh, Jason Lang with Do the Evolution. I will see you soon. Special shout out and thanks to Screaming Witness for the amazing intro and outro song. Check them out.